Calvary Church is located in beautiful Peterborough, Ontario, and is committed to impacting that community with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. Each week, one of our preaching team draw powerful life application truths from the Bible. Check us out here or online at calvaryptbo.church. So if you don't know me, my name is John Mark, and I am the youth pastor here at Calvary. Um, and... Uh, and this is my first time preaching. I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, it's good. It's good. <clears throat> With you guys, that is. Uh, so we probably all heard the news that Josh is moving on. Uh, you know, you're not dying, but he's moving on from us here. Uh, and I'm really going to miss one thing about it, okay? Every single week when I'm in the hallway, when he sings, someone comes up to me and says, you have such a great voice. And, and they, they, they compliment me, and I'm like, that is so amazing. You guys are great. Like, I actually suck at singing. I love singing, but I'm terrible at it. And then they realize over time, oh, you're not the guy on stage. So I said that in the first service, and then after service, someone came up to me and said, where are you going? <laughs> <laughs> so just so you know, I'm staying. Josh is leaving. He's the bad one, not me. Okay? I'm here. <laughs> You can still compliment me on singing, though, if you want. Just don't sit close to me, because then you won't want to. Uh, so if you know my story at all, if you were here in September when we um, shared it on stage, uh, you know that I am a pastor's kid. I grew up in church. I've basically been going to youth groups since I was a baby. My parents were youth pastors, and that can be a good thing or a bad thing. You can let me know. Uh, but I've basically been going to church forever. And uh, church is in my DNA, and it's not just because I grew up in it, but I generally have a, a, a passion for church and for the local church, and to see God use it to reach his kingdom. I really do believe that. But there are some things that are, you know, make me laugh a little bit, some expectations we have on people that make me laugh, you know, things that we assume that people should know when they walk in, or things that we as Christians say often that just don't make sense. Uh, the first one, one time I was at a church with my friend in high school, and uh, we were, it was a prayer time, so I closed my eyes, and then I opened my eyes, and I was the only person standing. So, you know, that, the expectation we, that you have to sit down, stand up, raise your hand, shake a hand, hug somebody, it's like, we should just know what it is, this expectation we have. And this one gets me all the time, and I see it a lot with youth, and not to call it anybody, but uh, the overuse in our prayers of Jesus, God, and Father. So, I don't know if you've ever heard a prayer like this, you probably have. That goes like, dear Jesus, God, I just pray, Father Jesus, that you should have your way, God. Amen. Have you ever heard a prayer like that? And if you're not laughing, it's probably because that's you, right? Okay? <laughs> You've probably been there. I've definitely been there. But it just, it makes me laugh. We just you overuse those words. Instead of saying, um, or like, we say Jesus for some reason. I, I don't know. Could be a good thing. I don't know. <clears throat> so over the last few months, we've been talking a lot about different expectations we have in church. So, you know, evangelism and worship, we've been talking about them, but we've been explaining them, and I've been loving this. We've been talking practically, what is it? What does it mean to us? How do we actually do this practically? And today, I'm going to be looking at four different forms of worship, uh, not just singing on stage, but four different ways that we can worship God um, that, you know, we don't just assume you know. We're going to try to explain them a little further. They may be things you've heard before. You may have even study them, but I'm going to try to talk in a little um, bit, help you understand what it is and why we do it. And if you notice, I use my hands a lot. This is my first time with a mic like this, and I'm Italian, so this isn't a good mix. So you may be distracted. Just close your eyes and listen. I have a beautiful voice. Okay, just close your eyes if you need to. 
Uh, before I get into it, I just want to pray quick. Uh, dear God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity that we have. I, play, I pray that you would calm my nerves, that you would bless this congregation, that you would speak through me, God. Thank you for who you are, what you've done, and what you're going to do. Amen. Uh, so the starting point that I want to start off today is, is at this, is that worship really is, at the starting point, is love for God. That's what worship is. Because why else would you worship him? Why else would you worship him if you didn't love him? The starting point of worship is love for God. David starts a lot of his psalms with, I love you, Lord, and he goes on and on and on. But he starts some of his psalms like that, and I just love the picture that it gives. See, God has given us so many different ways to interact with him outside of just singing, to worship him, to express our love to him, and for him to speak to us. The first form of worship that I want to talk to you about today is thanksgiving. And, and all these things might seem simple, they might seem ordinary, they may seem routine, mundane, but I'm going to explain what they are and go a little bit more in depth. So when it comes to thanksgiving, there's two different types of thanksgiving we see in the New Testament. The first one we can find in First Thessalonians 5. And these are some popular verses, but this one is, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Give thanks in all circumstances. This time, we see this type of thanksgiving 38 times. Whenever things are repeated, it's always important. Uh, but this type of thanksgiving is just giving thanks, expressing gratitude. It's, you know, in a prayer. It's thanking someone for a gift they've given you. It's just, you know, in your day-to-day life, just saying thank you is basically what it is, expressing gratitude towards something. The second form we see in Philippians 4 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. We see this 15 times, and this is more us using, showing gratitude, using grateful language towards God. It's more intentional as an act of worship directed towards God in prayer, um, really just taking time to thank him for what he's given us and what he's done and what he's going to do. It's just more intentional towards him. See, Thanksgiving, and I think one of the major roles that it plays in our lives that maybe we miss out on sometimes, is that when we choose to actively show thanks to God, when we choose to do it often, we can counteract the mind game that we play in our minds of comparison. And I'm sure you've been there. I know I'm there all the time. It's just a habit we fall into. This mind game we play where we compare our lives to others, whether that be in person or online, Because today, good isn't enough. We've heard this before, but great is expected. You're not expected to just be good anymore. You're expected to show your best self, to show your highlights and compare your highlights for other people's highlights. And we see this, and it can lead down a road that we all know is not good for ourselves and not good for our minds. And when we actually give thanks, when we use Thanksgiving the way it's meant to be, we can combat this. We can come to God with genuine grateful language and thank him for what he has done, We can fight that mind game of comparison. See, Thanksgiving comes down to this. It's using our voice to express gratitude to God for what he has done. And when we give thanks, we are worshiping God. And it may seem so simple, but that's what it is. We're worshiping God. We're saying thank you for what you've done. You know, when someone makes you food at home, just practically thank them. When someone buys you a present, thank them. When someone looks out for your best interest, just thank them. It is worship. May we choose in every circumstance, good and bad, to find something that we're thankful for. And you may have seen it in the lobby when you were coming in this morning to church, but as you walk out of here, we're trying to do things a little bit differently today, so bear with me. I won't make you talk to each other, so don't have to fear about that. But 
Uh, as you walk out of here this morning, there's a table in the hallway. And when you're out there, I just want you to write down one thing that you're thankful for. You could draw a picture, write down a list. But just do one thing or something to say, I'm thankful for my family or the food that God provides. Just something. And next week, we're going to put it up on stage or somewhere visible where we can all see and be encouraged and see what everyone else in our church is thankful for. Uh, the second um, form of worship I want to talk to you about is scripted prayers. And this may not be something you see in this context often, but what is it and why is it important to us? How is this a form of worship? Well, basically, a scripted prayer is a pre-written out prayer to be read alone or in church. Uh, some different churches, like the Anglican Church, have books full of prayers that we can open and read. Um, and what are they and why are they important? They can bring direction. Uh, they can provide a guideline. They can teach us how to pray. That's kind of what they're useful for. Uh, Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray using the Lord's Prayer. That is a scripted prayer that we sometimes read ourselves. You may have read in church before. But have you ever felt at a loss of words when you go to pray? Have you ever felt like you just sit there and you just don't know what to say? Um, scripted prayers are there to help guide us. They're not there to take the place of unscripted prayers, but they're there to complement unscripted prayers. They're there if you're stuck and you need a moment, you need someone to help articulate the words that you can't come up with your own on your own. But the most important thing, scripted or unscripted, in prayer, it is better to have a heart without words than words without a heart. And this is really important. It's better to have a heart without words than words without a heart. The most important thing is your posture when you come to prayer. It's the posture of your heart. You know, because you can, you can read a prayer like this and be so detached from it, that doesn't affect your life at all. But you could also speak words in an unscripted prayer and be so worried about the words and the performance that your heart's not attached to it as, as well. So the most important thing is the posture of your heart when, we, when it comes to prayer. In my office, when I'm bored or, you know, just tired, I, I have this piece of paper on my wall that I look up to and I read. There's 10 scriptures I have there that I pray over my life. Scripture is full of prayers that you can pray over your life. If you're struggling with praying, you don't need a book of prayers. You can just open your Bible and read these things over your life. And I do that. I, I read those things and I remind myself of what God has promised me, what he's promised you. And it's just a way for me to kind of, you know, break up my routine a little bit during the day. I find it hard to pray sometimes, but I just encourage you, when you do feel hard to pray, open up your Bible. And remember, scripted prayers are not to take a place of unscripted prayers, but to complement, to add to it. The third form of worship that I want to talk to you about today is solitude. Solitude, another one of those things that you've probably heard of before. You probably may have studied or heard it in church, but you just maybe didn't know exactly what it all meant. Solitude is basically us, you know, being alone. It's being isolated. It's in private, withdrawn from distraction. That's what solitude is at the base of it. In solitude, we encounter not only God, but we encounter our true self. And I'm going to explain that a little bit further, and it's important. But Matthew 6, verse 6 says this. It says, but when you pray, this is Jesus talking, it says, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. We see all, all throughout the Bible people going off to pray by themselves, to get away from a distraction, away from the crowd. We see it in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Jesus is an incredible model for us of what that looks like. But solitude is the place where we go to recalibrate with God. It's where we go back to realign ourselves with what he's asking us to do personally. If we don't allow time for God to realign us with, we take the risk of going down the road, a path of destruction. Because small choices plus time always equal big, right? Small always 
equals big with time. When you're a child, if you are small, you add time, you become big, most of us. Um, and it's the same thing with this. If you make small mistakes constantly or you're not realigning, you're going to end up, you know, there's going to be a big gap between you and God. That's why we need to constantly go back to solitude, constantly go back to realign ourselves with him. <clears throat> Without solitude, we lack the opportunity to allow God to speak to us, to guide us, and to correct us. So Jesus modeled this perfectly for us. Before his ministry, he spends 40 days by himself. He spends time away getting ready for the task at hand to make sure that he was going the direction God wanted him to go. And if Jesus needed it, I'm pretty sure we do too. And then as he's ministering, he takes time. He steps away after he does big things and he says, God, am I still doing what you want me to do? I still need you. Speak to me. Make sure I'm aligned with where you wanted me to go. And he shows us this so well. Solitude isn't an easy routine to get into though. If you're like me, it's not an easy thing to do all the time. I mean, we're busy, yeah. But the, most, the thing that gets me is because it makes me vulnerable. And it makes you vulnerable. Because we encounter not only God, but our true self. When we are alone by ourselves in quiet, we're alone with just us and our thoughts. It's those moments you hear exactly what you think about yourself. It's where all those distractions in your mind, you know, we've, we've hidden the distractions of the world, and now all these distractions in our mind come to the forefront. You know, we remove those distractions and, and distractions like fear, our doubts, our anxieties, bad memories, unsolved conflict, comparison, all those things flood the front of our minds. If you've ever been there, if you ever put yourself in a moment of, of silence like that. This is often why we avoid it, Right? But often it's in these moments when we are the most alone, when we are the most unique, the most ourselves that God is actually closest to us. Because we are saying we need your help. When we become vulnerable and confess to God our fears, our desires, our failures, then we allow God to step in and take control. I love the picture Psalms 13 gives us. And, and it, the, the, right, the writer goes on, he says, how long? And he goes on for four or five lines. How long do I need to live like this? How long am I going to be attacked this way? And by the end, he ends the, the Psalms by giving thanks to God for what he's done. But I love just the picture of him going to prayer by himself and just, do we pray like that? Do you go to God and just vent to him in a good way and say, I need you to change this. Do we believe he's going to change it? But how often do we go to prayer like that in, in the solitude? You know, in my role as a youth pastor, I hear this all the time, and I'm sure you've said it, I've said it, but we can cry and we can complain that God doesn't speak to us, and we get, you know, so, like, upset, like, why isn't he just giving me the clear direction of where to go? And, and the reality is we actually never give him the space to do that in our lives. Maybe we ask him once or twice on a Sunday morning or on a weekend or whatever in our, in our room, but we never pave time to give him the space to speak into our lives, to actually speak to us. Look, God isn't looking for perfect people, and I'm thankful for that. He's looking for ordinary people like you and me who are willing to let him guide our steps, who are willing to listen. That's what he's looking for. See, solitude is one of the hardest disciplines to master, but to walk in step with the Holy Spirit, we have to give him the space to lead us. We have to. And giving God the space to lead us is worship. It's showing him that we love him to say that, hey, we want to go where you want to take us because we love you, we trust you. I don't want to go just where I want to go. Please take me where you are calling me to go. And in solitude, that's where he does that. That's where he impresses on our heart. That's where he speaks to us often. 
So in a few minutes, we're going to be taking communion. And uh, we're, we're going to be doing communion. And communion is another one of those ways that we can worship God that is not singing. And, you know, often it's these things that are simple, that are mundane, that are easy, but at the same time so hard to commit to. It's these things like giving thanks, spending time in solitude. It's prayer. It's often these things that are so hard but are so important because in the mundane, God does his miracles. And we can see this in so many different stories in, in the New Testament where it's, it's the mundane, it's the ordinary, it's the routine where God actually does the miracle, where Jesus actually does something incredible. And you've probably read the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. And I'm going to paraphrase it. It will be up on the screen. But I, I love reading through the Gospels. And as you read about Jesus' miracles, you always notice he always gets his disciples or the person he is healing to do something that just seems not, you know, in line with the story at all. It's like, it's so irrelevant, it feels like. And in the story, we see something like that. In the story, we see Jesus feed 5,000 men. So in reality, it's probably closer to 15,000 if you encounter women and children. So there's all these people in the field listening to him preach, and he feels bad because he can't feed them. So he says to his disciples, go out, go and find some food. And obviously the disciples know they're not going to find enough food for everybody. Um, but they do it anyways. They're obedient anyways. They go and do it. And all they bring back is five loaves of bread and two fish. And they say, Jesus, this is what we got. A little boy, we sold it from him. He's given it to us. What are we going to do with this? And Jesus prays over it. He thanks God for it. And he ends up feeding 15,000 people plus. And they all take home goodie bags. Like there's so much food left over from these five pieces of bread and two fish. But see, the, the miracle, we can look at this and get caught up in the miracle being the multiplying of the food. We can say, wow, that is incredible. And we miss out that there's a couple things that happen here that bring the miracle to life. First, it's the obedience of the disciples, being obedient, even though it doesn't make sense to them, being obedient to go and find some food. And then the biggest thing for me is this. It's the boy's parents who made the lunch. See, without the food, there is no miracle. The parents who probably were doing the routine, making lunch for their kid every single day, they sent it with them, and through that, this miracle takes place. Because without the food, there is no miracle. So often before God does the divine in our lives, he asks us to be obedient in the mundane, in the ordinary, in the routine. The miracle you are looking for is most likely hidden in the mundane, in the daily routine of your life, in the being faithful, the act of faithfulness every single day. Before communion, we're going to just take two minutes to reflect, to spend some time in solitude. We're going to take two minutes to just kind of uh, have a practical moment where we look at, you know, try to do it ourselves. I know we can't be alone in this room right now, but we're going to take two minutes to just kind of focus on ourselves, focus on God, and let him speak to us. And the question that I want you to ask in that moment is this. I want you to ask, what ordinary, what mundane, what routine task is God calling you to be obedient to? I want you to think about that. Maybe it's praying, spending time in solitude, giving thanks for what you have. Maybe it's serving. God generally uses the faithful servant, the ordinary person, the ordinary church to do extraordinary things, right? So what ordinary thing is he asking you to be obedient to? And, and listen, if we're going to reach the vision that Pastor Paul has in his heart and that the staff are championing here. We are so on the same page and we're so excited for where God is taking us. But if we're going to reach that vision, this small church in Peterborough, we need God and we need to become faithful with the mundane things, with the ordinary things. 
so often Jesus chooses to use people when he could just do it himself. And this always confuses me for a long time. But he has always and will always look for people to partner with him. And he's looking for you. He's looking for me to do that. Many times when God intervenes, he asks us to commit to the mundane before he does the divine. So as, we, as uh, Shireen plays in the background, uh, we're just going to take two minutes of our time here this morning and close our eyes. You can look down. You can just, you know, get rid of distractions and just kind of, you know, spend some time with God. You know, what is God saying to you personally? Tell him why you love him. Tell him what you're thankful for this morning. We don't always do this kind of thing, but we're just trying to change up a little bit today. You know, share your frustrations this morning with him, your anxieties, your fear, your pain. Give it to him this morning. Take two minutes to just kind of focus on that this morning. So we're going to do that now for the next two minutes, and then we're going to do communion together. This morning, if, if you feel like God is speaking to you or impressing something on your heart, I would encourage you to write it down. Bring a notebook, write it down, write it on your phone. Just don't, don't miss a moment to remember what he's doing in your life or telling you to do. I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians here. Verses you've probably heard a thousand times, most of you, about communion. For I have received from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So if you're like me, you've probably heard that many, many times. But communion is a, is a way we can worship God. And there's more than just remembering what God did or what Jesus did on the cross. That is what communion is for. It's for us to remember what Christ did for us when he died on the cross. But it's also for us to remember our lives, what they were like before Jesus. It's for us to be reminded often to say, man, that's who I was without him. This is who I am now. And be excited about that. It's to remind ourselves of the commitment that we made to follow Jesus. And I think that's something that maybe we need to do more often. <clears throat> it's meant to be done often because if you're like me, you need constant reminders that God forgives you, that he loves you, that he cares about you deeply. And I, I think that communion is meant to fill us and leave us with hope and courageousness and boldness. You know, we can leave, we can be, you know, we take it, we remember, we remember who we were, who we are now. We can be filled with that hope once again and go out courageously and boldly for Jesus. You know, I have a burning desire to follow Jesus. And I may not show that in some expressive ways all the time, but I truly do. I have this burning desire in my heart that wakes me up that to follow Jesus. And I don't want to miss out on the extraordinary that he has planned for my life because I'm not willing to commit to the ordinary. I don't want to miss it. And I know he wants to do amazing things through me and through each of you, and I'm sure you don't want to miss it either. 
And as I reflect on my life, I can see moments where I simply trusted God in moments that didn't make sense, and he showed up constantly. I can see it. I spent 10 years of my life uh, with my parents in Maple, Ontario. We moved there in, in the early 2000s to plant a church in our living room. And at the time, it didn't make sense. I didn't know that. Looking back, it didn't make sense really what we were doing. But my parents modeled for me what it looked like to be obedient to God in the ordinary, in, in their relationships with people, in just doing what they felt God was asking them to do, the ordinary little things. And, and I never felt for one minute like they didn't believe it wouldn't succeed or that God wouldn't provide. And I'm so thankful for that. And that's how I live. I live and I expect that God's going to do something incredible with everything. And sometimes that's good, sometimes it's bad. <laughs> but it's, it's a, this, this expectancy that I live with and it's because I know that God can use our ordinary. And I've seen it happen. You know, in our church, if we're going to see God do the extraordinary, we all have to commit to the ordinary. It's not just the pastors. It's every single one of us have a role to, to do here. We all have to commit to the ordinary. You know, this past week, we celebrated over 200 team members that we have here. We all sat in the vine, we ate poutine from the whistle stop, and we just enjoyed being around each other. And every leader nominated another leader who they saw something in, who they, you know, were like, that person did a great job serving here, or that person, I see you, what you're doing. And it was so cool to hear that and celebrate each other and, you know, laugh with each other. And, and mundane looks different, but in our church, the ordinary it looks like Pastor Tracy spending hours developing a system for when we have people to go through our pipeline so that we can develop disciples. It looks like every kid's volunteer serving weekly so that one day kids could do the extraordinary, even though they're never going to remember their name, most likely. But that's what mundane, ordinary looks like. It looks like the greeters at the doors smiling, giving direction just so somebody, hopefully, can feel welcomed and at home and accept Jesus into their life. Right? These little things could lead to big things down the road. When we are generous with our time and our talents, God does the extraordinary. Look, the greatest gift you can give anyone is the gift of being present. And I believe this, the gift of being fully there wherever you are, in every conversation, in every place you are. And this morning you find yourself at church, and some of you may want to be here, some of you may not want to be here. But you find yourself here. My challenge to you is to be fully present when you are here. Not just make this something you do, but to be present, bring your Bible, take notes, drink a coffee with someone you don't know. Join a team, join a group, serve. I don't know what it is. But I can almost guarantee you, you know, some of you may not want to be here, some of you do. But I can guarantee you that we all have the same desire to be known and to be loved. And, and I challenge you, start to know people, start to love people so that that desire for you can come to life. Look, the God who created the universe, who created me and you, who is present in our lives every single day loves you and wants the best for your life. Commit to the ordinary so that God can do the extraordinary. If you do that, I guarantee you, you will see him move in your life. I'm going to invite the ushers to come down now and we're going to get ready for communion. And we're going to do it a little bit differently. And I want to do it this way so that you have a moment where you can come maybe get prayed for. Maybe we don't do this often. And a moment to, you know, remind yourself. So you're stepping up, you're going to move towards the front and remind yourself of the decision you made years ago maybe to follow Jesus, to renew that vision in your, in your heart. What we're going to do is there's going to be someone at each of the center aisles. I'm going to ask you to make your way down the center aisles to collect communion from them. And you can take it back to your seat if you want to and then take it there by yourself or you can take it at the front 
pray for a little bit, get prayer from a pastor who's going to be along the front here. But we're just going to change it up a little bit this morning. And look, if you are here and you have never made the decision to accept Jesus into your life, and you, you want to do that, you want to live an extraordinary life, you want to live a life with purpose and feel loved and be known with our ever-present God, if you've never made that choice, I want to give you that opportunity this morning. There's going to be people here that can pray for you, and if you want to do that, please go to someone and make that decision with them this morning. If you're here and you need a miracle in your life, come get prayer for, for it by somebody. When I pray, you guys can all come to the front. But I just challenge you this morning to commit to doing the ordinary, the the routine, so that God can do the extraordinary through you and through this church. Because we believe that God's going to do something here. Be fully here when you're here. After I'm done praying, you can make your way to the front. And please, I just want you to know, you can take the communion when you do that. And linger for a little bit. We're going to sing a song after I'm done praying. And uh, you have some time to reflect here. So, dear God, thank you so much for who you are. God, thank you so much that you love us so, so much. Unfathomable, God. Lord, I pray that this morning that we would feel the need to give you everything that we have, God. That we would be reminded of our first love, God. Reminded of the moment where we gave our lives to you, Jesus. And that that would propel us forward right now in this season of our lives, God. But I pray for the people in this room who may have never experienced you, God. Lord, I pray that you would do something in them this morning. Fill them with a desire to know who you are, God. Show them who you are in this morning, God, in this place. And I pray right now, as we make our way up to the front for communion, that we would just be filled with courage, God, to move forward. Thank you for who you are, what you've done, and what you're going to do. Amen. So you can come through the center aisles and come grab communion. But I just encourage you this morning that you, you leave here encouraged and motivated to serve in every aspect of your life. To give God the ordinary so that he can do extraordinary through you. To worship him in everything. In all these different ways that he gives us. Dear God, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you that you use us even though we're not perfect and we, have, we should not be used. But thank you that you choose to use us, God. Thank you that you love us, that you care about us so gratefully, so much. And I pray that you keep us safe as we travel from this place. Bless each person in this room. Amen.